This is Reaganism, a podcast dedicated to exploring where the Reagan movement lives today. I'm Roger Zakheim, director of the Ronald Reagan Institute in Washington, D.C. On this episode of Reaganism, Reagan Institute's Dr. Janet Tran sits down with Virginia's Secretary of Education, Amy Gadara. They discuss the Commonwealth of Virginia's honest assessment of their education system and what these lessons mean for education policy across the country. They also discuss the quest for excellence and equal opportunity, data-informed decision-making, innovation, and student achievement in education. Secretary Amy Gadara, thanks so much for joining Reaganism. I want to start with um, perhaps allowing you to give us some context about uh, what drives your beliefs about education, an issue that is so near and dear to both of our hearts. Um, you've dedicated more or less your entire life to the educational success of students uh, around the country and now in Virginia, and you have really clear conviction on um, data-informed decision, uh, definitions, if you will, of excellence. So, you know, you were so kind to join us at the Reagan Institute Summit on Education uh, this year, and you defined opportunity as every Virginia learner can attain success in life. And that broadly includes uh, economic success, engaging in one's community, economy and um, just being informed in our democracy. So maybe you could step back a little bit about your life and your experiences and share what helped shape those beliefs and those values. Uh, so Janet, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to join you on, on the, the program. So I really appreciate it. And it's always good to have a chance to talk with you. And thanks to you and the Reagan Institute for what you all do to create forums for really important conversations. So thank you. Um, so I um, have worked my entire life in education because I'm the product of an exceptional education. I am a 13-year graduate of Montgomery County, Maryland Public Schools, and I had an unbelievable education that prepared me for life. Um, and I thought that it was just normal that every child in this country had what I had of having caring adults, lots of volunteers in the schools, whether they be retired, uh, folks coming in and, and doing extra tutoring or moms and dads that were coming in and leading great books programs. And most importantly, teachers who held me to high expectations and believed that I could do anything and instilled that sense of hard work um, and, and, and working hard and working long hours and making sure that you understood the value of an education. And I got out in the real world and realized that education was not available to everybody. Um, and there's nothing more important than getting launched with a strong education. You know, our founders of our country knew that. Um, and today it is as true, if not more true than it was then. And, you know, we do define success here in the Virginia, a, a successful education being one that prepares every Virginian for success in the economy, to be a productive member of the economy, to be an engaged member in their community, and to be an informed member of their democracy. And it's really simple. We know that all three of those really important parts of American life are driven by having people who are educated and are knowledgeable and are, have the skills, content, knowledge to be able to be successful in all those areas. Um, I am a deep believer that without having a strong public education system, um, all three of those endeavors are at risk in this country. And so I believe what we're doing and why it's a complete privilege and honor to work for Governor Youngkin is that he believes how important it is to ensure that we are providing um, a quality education to every Virginia learner. 
I can't tell you how much that resonates uh, with us. Obviously, the work that we do in uh, at RISE falls under the umbrella of our Center for Civics, Education, and Opportunity. And we will believe that those are three pillars that are completely interwoven when we do this work. You can't be an educated person without having the skill sets and to have a better opportunity in this country. And similarly, you can't be a citizen that gives back to their community if you don't have that education. And it's the core of the American dream, right? It's this Correct. whole idea that we believe that with a great education and with hard work, anything is possible. And that's why it matters that we make sure that that dream is accessible to every one of our children. And that's why having a strong education system is critical to those dreams coming alive and coming to fruition. So strong education system, this is where perhaps a lot of us diverge. And uh, I want to point out that you are an unapologetic champion of data, and and I personally applaud you for that. Um, You know, some folks may not know uh, that you started uh, the data quality campaign in 2005. And I'd love to go, um, you know, it's it's really a part of our education community now. It's, It's part of our DNA. But, you know, let's go back to the founding and what made you feel so strongly that data should inform uh, what success means for our students and high quality schools and education, as you said, and our families. So, yeah. so it's um, so thank you. And it makes my um, little policy wonk heart warm <laughs> to know that people find the data quality campaign to be part of the ecosystem now. So thank you for saying that. Um, you know, it is uh, I'll tell you, I was working at the National Alliance of Business uh, right before we launched the data quality campaign. And part of it was working with business leaders who were active in schools. And I would spend a lot of time with business leaders, helping them to be great informed champions for better education and workforce development systems. And they were supportive in advocacy, they were supportive in philanthropy, they were supportive in mentoring. And what was amazing is when they would go into schools, they would say, Amy, how is it possible for anybody to get results in our education system because no one is making any decisions based on data? People are making decisions based on hunches, on anecdotes, on how it was done when they were in school. Feelings. Feelings. Lots of feelings. There's no way we would be able to run our businesses uh, without having quality information. And that just has always stuck with me. This whole concept of an education, we've never had quality information until the last couple of decades. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we've just gotten used to using all those other ways of making decisions about what felt right. And we would never expect that in any other part of our life. And I would argue that every institution, private, public, nonprofit, uh, that gets results is getting them because they are using information as a tool of improvement, a tool of empowerment, um, and not as a tool of compliance. And I think in education, we had a culture of data use, but it was about a tool of compliance or using it as a tool um, in the data quality campaign. We used to say using data as a hammer instead of a flashlight and that we needed to create a culture that use data as a tool of empowerment and informing people. Um, And then really why at DQC we focus on longitudinal data, which is the ability to follow individual students over time, is because that's where the real power is. Because when you have longitudinal data, you have the ability to see every child and to ensure that every child is getting what he or she needs to be on that track for success that we just talked about. And to me, that is the heart of what we need to do, right? If you can't see every child, if you don't know where every child is, how can we help them get to where they need to be? And I would argue that for a really long time in education, we've used data, we didn't have longitudinal data, 
And as a result, we were lulled into complacency by using averages where it's only as good as, you know, sometimes like in Virginia, we looked really good because our top performing students are way up here. And it was masking the fact that we had huge gaps and we were not serving our children well. Um, and that when we have that ability to understand where every child is and then to work with that child into personalized education, that's how we make sure that we get everyone to the goal line that they need to be at. So I'm pretty passionate about it. I also know that what we finally can do when you have rich information, you can provide richer feedback, whether it be to our schools of education, whether it be to our educators, whether it be um, to high schools from the higher education and workforce world. But also, we can do better research and evaluation of being able to pinpoint what actually is working so that we can invest our dollars, our time, um, and our energy on things that are going to get results rather than just throwing things at a wall that we think are going to work and doing that. So this is about efficiency. It's about efficacy. It's about making sure that we're being good stewards of taxpayers' dollars and investing in what works. And it's also what our children deserve, right? Is rather than wandering the wilderness to figure out, we'll get lucky and figure out how to Convenient help. Convenient assumptions based on data. Actually make decisions based on data. And so um, I think that we are starting to build our muscles around using data, um, but it's hard. It's hard to change culture around using information. And it makes people uncomfortable. I think, you know, as you said, it would be really convenient to say that Virginia's doing well because you have these great school systems and pockets of excellence and affluence. Let's call it out as yeah. as what it is. And uh, those um, that disaggregated data really tells you the full story. But many people may be uncomfortable with that full story. So that's a culture shift, which I, I definitely want to get back to um, when we focus in on your state. Um, I do want to stay at the macro level here. You know, um, at Rise 2023, we had the opportunity to ask, uh, you know, it was the 45th anniversary and really thinking back to this seminal report um, during President Reagan's time that most credit as a, a wake up call, a change for us to an address to the American people for us to realize that we weren't going to these excellent schools. It was speaking truth to power as uh, as folks like to say these days. And, you know, we asked if we gave you the pen, you know, how might you rewrite a nation at risk today? And uh, you gave a great answer, but I'd love for you to, you know, you were sharing a stage with other folks. So the stage is entirely yours now, if you wouldn't mind elaborating further. So I wanna start by saying, I love the opportunity and the impetus to reread A Nation at Risk. Um, I had had a copy of it back when it came out. I used it in my senior thesis in college um, as one of the seminal pieces that I uh, talked about, was talking about the evolution of the business role in education. Uh, and then rereading it again, it, it is just an incredible document. And rather than answering your question immediately about what I would change, I actually wanna go back because I reread it again last night in preparation for talking to you. And it's just a joy to do that. I actually want to read a sentence, two sentences in it, because it is so mm. applicable to today and to what we need to do. And it's actually central and it epitomizes everything that we're trying to do in Virginia. And this is uh, part of the area about excellence in education. And it says, excellence characterizes a school or college that sets high expectations and goals for all learners mm. and tries in every way possible to help students reach them. Excellent characterizes a society that has adopted these policies, for it will then be prepared through the education and skill of its people to respond to the challenges of a rapidly changing world. That two sentences uh, phrase in there is everything that- That's the segment in the learning today. society, right? Totally, right? This is what we need to do today. And I would argue that we must 
double down and that that goal, that statement that was said 40 years ago is even more applicable today. We have forgotten what excellence looks like. Uh, we have forgotten the fact we've lost um, our way in, in assuming and in making sure that we're holding our systems accountable for there to be excellence available to everyone. And as you know, the as talked about, this is the conversation about we don't need to sacrifice all and quality. Mm -hmm. We need to be talking about it together. Um, in terms of to answer your question, because I know you're going to come back and make me answer yeah. that. Uh, I mean, the pieces I would love to talk more about in here that I wish they had, but they couldn't, right? Was talking about the role of information and data. But we were in a different place at that point and didn't happen. Yeah. But the focus is on time, on content, um, on on teachers. All of those are critical. And I think, again, if we look at all those pieces and now with today's data system, the conversations could be so much different now that we have longitudinal data, now that we have that conversation going on. And the other piece in here is talking about the role of parents, which I think also, and how do we also broaden the conversation to stakeholders to say, um, this it, we need to also just build um, not just greater public awareness of this, but also how do we bring stakeholders into the conversation, including parents and teachers and students themselves. The report really galvanized the American people. And if if you dug deeply and if you read it like we both have, it, it's actually a really positive report. And totally. it believes that the American people have always answered the call and met any need. But what's interesting is um, what you're saying about the sort of um, feeling today that it's fait accompli, that we are not going to be competitive globally, that our education system is just not going to uh, achieve excellence. And I'm interested in to, as to perhaps why we've lost that that spirit, that that galvanized motion of, yes, we can achieve, we must um, continue to fuel this engine of innovation that our, our education system and our schools ought to be. And we've sort of lost that luster. And, you know, there are so many pressing issues today. So I'm, I'm curious as to why you think that is and, um, you know, how, how do we sort of motivate ourselves again to answer this call? The report was, here you are, let's respond, not we're doing poorly, let's go about our, our ways as usual. Right, right. so I think um, it's a really hard question to answer, right? It's why, because in lots of ways, what you're asking, Jenna, is why have we lost hope? Right. And why have we lost belief that all children can learn? And mm -hmm. um, I think I mentioned this when we were together at the RISE uh, Summit. You know, when I uh, went to my first Education Commission of the States meeting and the swag that we got, this is 1993, um, was a cup that said, all kids can learn. And it was the statement of, yes, we believe it, which is what this report is saying, right? This right. report is saying, yes. And all that everyone is responsible too. We're it's all not just, yeah. right? This is, this is an all hands on deck. This is a national issue. This is a nation at risk and we must respond to that call uh, and do something about it. And I remember we all had our mugs, we all went home and it was kind of like, if we put it on our desk, we're gonna believe it that all kids can learn. And I recycled that cup um, a couple moves ago. Ouch. It's like, what? how silly. Of course all kids can learn. And that was part mm. of what came out of a nation at risk is that, that we didn't need to put on coffee cups because we actually knew it was mm. true. And it fueled every decision we were making in education. It's why it started the standards movement mm. about having quality assessments, about having accountability system, where it was all about the fact that we believed all kids can learn and that we needed to hold ourselves accountable for making sure that our children were meeting the high standards we were setting for them, right? That's a very different outlook. 
I want to bring back the coffee cups now because what I'm feeling is that I'm not sure everyone actually believes no. it anymore. And what President Reagan brought, what my governor brings is hope and a belief that yes, all kids can learn. We know this. And to me, the power of data is that we know what works and we know how to make sure that every kid is on track for success. And it's on us to make sure that we're using good information and we have those high expectations and every child deserves the respect and dignity of us holding them to high expectations because they can do it. And I think that's this moment of let's remind people all kids can learn. Let's not get distracted by all these crazy things that are going on. And I, what disturbs so me <laughs> is the, so many things, but also this lowering ex expectations in the name of equity which is really wrong, right? That is the exact wrong piece. Opposite that of it, right. If you believe in all kids can learn, you need to say, this is the bar. This is what we know we need to do to get our kids to success. And that some kids are gonna need more to get to that bar, but we're gonna get them there. And this is on the adults in the system to do that. But it's a, it is such a positive message and one of hope. And it's one also based on data that we know how to do this. And it means that we need to come together and do the right thing and serve every child. So I'm why I'm so hopeful about where we are in Virginia. And I hope in the rest of the country is we need to be true to these guiding principles and these true pieces of believing all children can learn using data and information and being true and saying we know we can get there and that it's going to be hard work, um, but we can do this. It's interesting. It's almost like uh, the conversations around differentiating the pathways to individual learners became differentiating the outcomes, which is lowering our standards, essentially. Totally. And it's totally. a, it's and mystifying. Right. And it's wrong. Right. And this is, mm -hmm. we can talk about Virginia, what we're finding, different things we want to get there. But I think this is, um, this is the call to action. And it's the same call to action from 1983. Um, but it's like, we need to remind ourselves of this. Yeah, so 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 true. You know, just oftentimes um, there's things we take for granted. Um, yeah, let's let's zero in on your state, though. Um, you know, Virginia is often cited as a really successful state in education, and uh, you could have easily danced into this role and sang the happy songs uh, to parents, and they would have believed it because that is, um, you know, their students go on to successful colleges and have good careers, at least in the school districts that we know and love, quote. Um, but, you know, in a recent study, we, we looked at Wallet Hub and Virginia actually ranks seventh nationwide when it comes to education. And uh, many states would throw parades that they're seventh. But um, I know you and I know that you have higher standards and you are looking at the six other states above you. So, you know, you've been really vocal about the fact that Virginians have taken their foot off the gas or have been distracted by uh, other things than educational excellence. Um, so it's not a newsflash uh, that all states saw historic declines uh, in this year's NAEP scores. It's probably not a surprise to anyone who follows uh, education writ large nationally. And, you know, frankly, it's incredibly depressing. Um, so I'm curious as to, you know, as a leader, you know, how do you tell the story honestly while keeping that sense of hope and purpose that you were talking about earlier that we should believe this can be done, it has been done, um, you know, in many places, and we can continue to bring together parents, educators, and our learners in a caring way that achieves that success while being authentic to the fact that we, we could do better. So how do you balance that? It's really tough, right? It's really tough. Um, and 
it's about being honest about Jesus and building trust mm -hmm. and also uh, bringing people together to realize, and this is the power of data, right? If you don't know where you are and you can't define a measure where you want to go, you'll never get there. Um, and when Governor Youngkin came into office um, and when I came here, um, we started by saying his goal is to restore excellence to education for every child in Virginia. And that goes back to excellence, the definition that we find in a nation at risk, right? And excellence, which is really about making sure that every single child is held to high expectations and is prepared for success in life. And people just were like, how dare you? How dare you question that we don't have excellence in Virginia? This is Virginia. We're number one. We're number three. We're number six. We're number two. You know, it's everyone. I'm like, don't believe the hype. Like, because there is excellence in Virginia, right? I became a Virginian for the first time uh, because I came for the high quality higher education and then we stayed for the great quality K-12. So I know there's excellence uh, available in Virginia and that continues today. What I also know by looking at the data is that that excellence and that access to excellence is not available in every community to every child. 100%. And until that happens, we're not done. And this is again, that numbing, um, that numbing effect of using averages is that it masks what is going on with every child. And excellence, access to excellence is what we need to do for every single child. Um, and telling the truth sometimes and being honest with ourselves is you, you're not, you're the skunk at the garden party, right? It is much easier, as you said, to say everything's awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've been telling people in Virginia, right? We had a over the last decade in prior administrations, a real systematic dismantling of a culture of high expectations, literally lowering the cut scores on our tests, literally um, changing our accreditation system so that it was easier for all schools to look better. Uh, and as a result, there has not been a sense that we were not serving all children because all the indicators made it look like we were doing really, really well. But when you look at NAEP, you know, we brought up the, the um, NAEP scores from last year, two things are, you know, are, are noteworthy on that. One, Virginia's definition of proficiency in reading and math is the lowest in the nation, right? And that is an unbelievable statement. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look across um, wow. all the states where we are, and states this get to define that. Most people yeah. don't realize. So proficiency means the, the cut score mm -hmm. is like how, right. literally how many answers do you have to answer correctly on a test, whether it be our state test or whether on NAEP, to say that you have mastered a content, a piece of content or a subject. And what we uh, what we know happened you know, in 2014, the national organization Achieve, which no longer exists, but they had put out what they called the Honesty Gap Report. And it reported on 14 states who had looked really great on their state tests, but then when you benchmark them across NAEP, what it realizes is that depending on how you define what proficiency or mastery look like, um, you could set it anywhere you want and yeah, tell people- 40% yeah, sounds great, yeah. <laughs> right, it's great. Um, and, and every single one of those other states other than Virginia had changed their definition of proficiency. And so here we've got Virginia that has still maintained a low definition of proficiency, but we haven't talked about that. And that's called the honesty gap. We didn't create that term. That was a term created by a chief. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that happened, right? The second piece is in our accreditation system, you know, to go back to Nate the last year, Virginia had the greatest um, learning loss in the nation in fourth grade reading and math. Mm -hmm. And our fourth grader year. Yeah, three times worse than the already horrific uh, national average, right? I mean, just, and this is, again, Virginia. How is this possible in Virginia? 
Um, and and even with those horrific results, there is not an, a single school in the Commonwealth under our accreditation system that is not accredited. So think about that. The message we're saying to parents, to educators, to taxpayers, to citizens is everything's fine. You know, when because when you're a normal person that doesn't dive into education data every day, and you think right. accreditation makes it sound like great, check the school's doing so okay. nobody met their mark, but all the schools are fine. <laughs> yeah. And and this is what we're dealing with, right? And so this is why when we came into office last May, we released um, our commitment to Virginians, which was the majority of it was putting data out there that showed where Virginia was so that we could be honest with ourselves. And again, this wasn't a doom and gloom message. We started with this message of saying, our children deserve more. We know they can do this because Virginia was the leader back in the 80s and 90s of setting high expectations. We were the first ones to come out with standards, the standards of learning. We created great tests. We created great accountability systems. This happened through bipartisanship coming together and saying, we can do this. And as a result, we had 20 years of just progress. Because guess what? When we expect more of our kids, they produce. We expect more of our schools, they produce. And literally what those NAEP scores represented last year was an erasure of 20 years of progress. And in my mind, a generation of children at risk because we, the adults have failed and made bad decisions and decided not to tell the truth about we weren't preparing our children. So the message we put out again was, and again, data is not meant to shame and blame. Right. Data is meant as a tool of here's where we are. And like, so what does this data tell us? And now what are we going to do differently? And that's the conversation that the Yunkin administration is having. And we want to have it with the people in Virginia saying, what are we all going to do differently now to get the results that our children deserve? And you know, it continues now, Janet. So yesterday we just announced um, our SOL scores for this year, and they're not—they're terrible again, right? Like we no, were nothing to sing, yeah. sing about, yeah. No, and what you know, what we know is that the pandemic was horrific, but what was even worse than the, the pandemic was the lack of leadership that didn't open schools. In Virginia, we were the 44th state to open our schools. Um, and what we know now, the data tells us is the schools that stay closed the longest are the ones that have the greatest learning loss. And especially in populations who are already further behind, are further behind because they weren't in school. And so we- There wasn't that, even op uh, options for segmented returns in Virginia. No, right. And so yeah. we, we just, we did not, um, we just failed our kids by not opening. So the combination of lowering expectations uh, before the pandemic with closures have led to just this persistent learning loss. You know, we know our kids are struggling developmentally, they're struggling mentally, emotionally, mm -hmm. socially, and they're really struggling academically. And so our results yesterday for grades three through eight, two thirds of our third through eighth graders are either not proficient, they're not mastering, or at risk of not being proficient in math. And over a half of our half of our third to eighth graders are not proficient or at risk of falling off proficient and reading. Just think about those numbers. That is a huge number of Virginia kids who are at risk of being left behind and not being on track for success. And those grades are sort of the infrastructure in which you build all your learning. Right? Foundational, right? And this is why we also announced, the governor announced that we have an all-in Virginia plan that's going to be three things. One is that we um, just had our budget deal come through, bipartisan leadership, $418 million that are going to go out to every school division in the Commonwealth and do three things. One, we are going to provide three to eight, three, three to five hours a week extra, 
I'm tutoring and intense tutoring in small groups um, for, for students who need it in math and reading. And for students who need it the most, it's going to be five hours. For those that are at risk, at three hours. And we know from the data and the research, right? We're going to make decisions based on research. We're going to target this to the students who need it the most. So we're using our data on students. We're using evidence-based practices. And we're putting into place and encouraging divisions to do what the data tells us. We know from across the country that schools that have used intensive, consistent tutoring have gotten the best results in accelerated learning gains. And that's what we're trying to do. So that's one, a focus on tutoring. Um, and we're really also doing all hands on deck, encouraging churches, encouraging colleges, encouraging fraternal organizations, retired teachers to come in and partner with schools and say, we can do this. This is a moment for communities to come together, put their arms around our kids and our schools and say, let's do this. The second piece, we are going to use some of that money, uh, encouraging divisions to use that money to really expedite our Virginia Literacy Act. Uh, this was just incredible bipartisan legislation last year the governor signed that absolutely says we are going to reset everything that we do in Virginia around the science of reading. And so in the last year, we have now created a list of materials and curriculum that are based on the science of reading and, and that schools must adopt those. We have, through this um, budget deal yesterday, expanded now so that coaches in reading mm -hmm. that have been trained in the science of reading will teach every single teacher in the Commonwealth how to teach literacy according to the science of reading uh, in grades three through eight. We will have that. Um, and then we'll have tools and resources to make sure that we are just resetting everything having to do with reading to really focus on literacy. And the third piece is dealing with chronic absenteeism and getting kids to school. So we are launching a task force on chronic absenteeism and transportation, because we also know part of the reason kids are actually in school. And by the way, like lots of mm -hmm. states, we saw a doubling of our chronic absenteeism in the last decade, and especially coming out of pandemic. Mm -hmm. So we went from, we now have one in five children in, in our K through 12 system that are missing um, uh, 18 days of school a year, 10% you know, of their school. And we know when kids are not in school, and they're chronically absent that they score 25% lower in math and 18% lower in reading. So we know that kids cannot learn if they're not in school. And so we're going to be putting a lot of energy into making sure that we run a campaign and put into place database practices to make sure that our kids are back in school. So we are trying to change this conversation. It has to be at all hands on deck. Um, and this in this dark, dark moment of providing these, these results, you know the 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 light that's there. The the hope is the fact that we do know how to do this. We've done it before. We have the data and research to guide what we're going to do. We know which students need the help, um, and we know how we're going to do it. And the governor is going to use his voice to make sure that everywhere we go, we are talking about these issues and saying we cannot lose a generation of children in Virginia. I think the trajectory is right. You know, I, I look um you know at the Virginia Literacy Act. I'm so I'm so glad you brought that up because. The science of reading we've known about for over a decade and most states have not acted upon it and it takes a, a sort of a, a rollout moment um, to sort of capture the imagination of the american people but it's really takes leadership to say we know the way we've been teaching reading does not work and now we have an understanding so to really implement that um you know have you seen any um, effects in terms of the curriculum and how are students and, and perhaps teachers reacting to this increased support? Um, you know, how are you looking at uniform training? Um, what What is, because so many people think this is how I was taught. 
and I read well, so it must work, right? Which is well, that's the, the right? Job. It's exactly yes. the point, right? It's like, well, this has worked for me, or this right. is or this is my experience. And we're saying, look at the data. That's not we science. Yeah. And it's really easy now to point and say when two-thirds of our, you know, over half of our kids are not able to read, right? Or at risk of not reading. Mm-hmm. It's not working, right? Like this is not working what we're doing. So this is why we need to make the change. And so much of this in education is about um, a change management structure, right? And the three things that you need for any change to be to happen and be lasting is you need an awareness for a need to change. You need to have a desire to change. And you need to have the knowledge to change. And that's what's driving everything that we're doing too around why we use data. We're trying to create an awareness and a sense of urgency and a desire to change for our teachers, our parents, um, so people understand why we can't keep doing the things we've been doing, because we're going to show you the data, data that this may be working for this child is not working for all children. And so this is why we need to keep going back to data and research to create that urgency and demand to do what we're doing. Um, it's hard, right? There are a lot of people who love the way that they were trained to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, all these yeah, like the yeah, right, cute, cute picture. Yeah, like, right. Um, and you were doing a series, the communities are really coming together. So there is a series of right to read seminars are going out, know, evenings are going on around uh, the Commonwealth where folks are watching the great movie talking about reading. There's for uh, the superintendent is doing a whole message on literacy. We have campaigns going. This is about a culture change and it's about focused on doing the right thing by our kids. But in Virginia, it's soup to nuts. I think that we will have the most comprehensive implementation. And to your point, passing the law really, really matters. Funding it really matters, which we've now put you know close to 80, $90 million into the implementation of this bill, right? So we have put huge amounts of money into making sure this isn't just an idea and theory. This is changing everything from how we train our teachers in our schools of education, to what materials we use, it is now going to be illegal to use anything other than a, a material or, a, or a, a, a literacy book that is not has not been approved by the State Board of Education, right? So we are serious about that, and we're making sure that every one of our teachers has access to a coach, a literacy coach who's been trained in the science of reading. So we're trying to help new teachers. Teachers have been around forever, and we're providing the supports and the tools necessary to make this culture change happen. And our hope is that we are going to see results really quickly. That combined with the tutoring and literacy, we're really hoping that we start to see results um, quickly because we know the kids can do it. That's the bottom line. We know that when they get what they need and we're using evidence-based approaches, our children will succeed. And the focus on K through three is is very um, you know formative, and you know, like you said, we we actually will be able to see uh, those longitudinal results relatively quickly because uh, when they are assessed again in you know eighth grade and these more formative senses, we should be able to see hopefully um, increases across the board with their ability to read and understand what's being asked in all subject matters. Absolutely. So, you know, we're, we're close to time here and, you know, you've spoken a bit about the innovations that are taking place um, because it's not enough to know what's happening. You've got to respond and you've got to lead there. And there's um, pieces that you've, you know, picked up some old concepts that are still, still good. And then there's, you know, some really new directions in which we have to follow the science. We have to follow, um, you know, what, what we know about learning. But let's look ahead a little bit um, because all of this has to be connected. And there's been a lot of reports around, you know, workforce education, the big blur, really thinking about 
how do you equip people for, you know, that one area you spoke about in an educated person, they should be able to contribute to the economy and do better for themselves than perhaps their parents did, right? And uh, we know in your state, uh, you have a a very diverse state, a diverse economy. Um, There is not a single pathway to a successful career. You could do a million things in Virginia. Um, So what is happening in the Commonwealth to support multiple pathways from high school to productive careers? And and maybe how are you thinking about encouraging people who are talented uh, to stay and work in their communities as opposed to, you know, go pass into, you know, the Beltway into D.C. or, you know, what what are your thoughts around building, encouraging this workforce for the future? So I love this. We could spend the entire time talking about this because there's so much going on. Mm -hmm. You just said things that the governor's saying all the time, Janet, right? There is not one size fits all in education. And again, I've got the data to show you that it does not work. Um, And that we need to have multiple pathways to success and that our kids need different ways to get to that success level. Uh, And our end goal is to make sure that everybody is prepared for life. And then we also want them to stay in Virginia and be part of our economy here, right? So we're very, very self-centered that this is about making sure we're producing phenomenal thinkers, uh, problem solvers, workers, and that they're staying here and helping to fuel a vibrant economy and and communities and democracy. And so how are we doing that? So a couple of things. One, we believe we need to do a much better job of elucidating the pathways. And we need to make sure folks know that there's not just one way to success, that four-year uh, college is not the only answer and that we have many, many ways to do that. We have incredible opportunities with our community college system. We have transfer programs. We have um, we have the military. So one is just starting that out. And we're also doing a much better job of helping to also explain what are the jobs of today and the future, the top jobs. So we have in Virginia, one of the things that I think distinguishes us from so many places and to be blunt over my 35 year career I have been waiting for this holy grail to appear, and it's called the Virginia Office for Economic Education. And we now have just-in-time labor market information that is available regionally. That's going to change everything that we do in education, because we now can say when a child raises their hand and say, why do I need to learn this? (laughs) Teachers can say, because the top 10 jobs in our region depend on the following skills that we're trying to teach right now. Um, And that information is also going to make the connection between school and work much more informed at the higher education level and K-12. So we've got better information we've ever had. Second piece is we're trying to break down the walls between education and workforce at all levels. So in our in our higher education system, we have a commitment to move towards having every graduate of our two and four year schools have a paid workplace experience. Because we know that when we expose our students of all ages to work, we provide experiences and they get expertise, they thrive and they see the connection between learning and earning. Uh, and we also know in Virginia that if you have a really great internship, you're more likely to take a job there on both sides. It's a win-win and we get people to stay in Virginia. So that's one thing we're trying to do in our higher ed, and it's a commitment of the business community and of all the colleges and universities presidents and of the administration working together on that. And then in high school, it's also just about how do we think about providing that exposure, that experience and expertise earlier in a career, in an education career. And so one of the things I'm most excited about, two things I'll talk about. One is our launch of lab schools. Uh, one of the first things that we did in the administration was to launch this idea of higher education institutions partnering with local businesses, with uh, like K-12 systems, with community groups 
to create schools that start to bring education into the world outside of schools and the world outside of schools into education. Mm -hmm. And we have now 24 applications for lab schools, which is awesome. And they're everything from the Eastern Shore developing a space-based STEM um, school because Wallops Island is one of the four places in the country where we can launch rockets. And so we're trying to build that industry up and needing to build a workforce out there, but also create quality schools to attract the astrophysicists that we need to go there and fuel that economy. And it's so, so that's Eastern Shore Community College working with local school divisions to do that and NASA and Langley and all that. So a healthcare area out West in Southwest Virginia of working um, where we have shortages in healthcare to train students and to work with them and have them understand the connections between what they're learning in school and experiences in hospitals and clinics. And again, having transfer opportunities to community colleges and in the workplace and to four-year degrees. So it's really about connecting the dots, making learning come alive, and also helping our kids dream bigger than they might have right. if they might have had limited exposure. So it's just like a no duh of how do we do this? I think in but, elementary school, most kids think there's only three careers out right. there. And yeah. unless you have you're born into a family where you're fortunate enough to have career-minded people, it's yeah. a the imagination is so limited. It's, I love, and this is about blowing the ceiling off of any limits we put on our kids, right? Like having them dream big and then give them the exposure. And along those same lines, we are also setting a goal for ourselves of how do we ensure that when our students graduate from high school, they leave not just with a high school diploma, but also with college credit, an associate's degree, and or an industry-recognized credential. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I'm really excited about that we're developing for our next legislative and budget cycle is how do we do that? How do we work in partnership with, um, with the community college system and to really expand concurrent enrollment, but also exposure to the world of work so that we make sure that we are being, um, we're exposing our kids, but they're not just leaving with exposure, they're literally coming out with, with a credential that that is a building block that they can continue to take on, save money in terms of their future education, but also have a sense of what excites them and what they what they want to do more of. So we're trying to we're doing everything possible to build those multiple pathways uh, and to ensure that we have a student focused education system that is positioning every every student for success when they get a degree from one of our high schools. I'm really excited to see these lab schools and just imagining learning in practice. It's a you know it, it, it's the way we've done this for the most part has been education communicates to the labor market. Labor market says that's not what we need. And then there's this huge change that takes multiple years. And by the time it's changed, the labor market's like, oh, we were we're yeah. past that. That's that's yeah. long ago. So the fact that these these lab schools exist that is in constant communication with the workforce that is hiring right at this moment is is really critical to um also just beginning a new relationship with the education system and our our workforce and our employers as well. I think that's a a great um a great step and there's going to be a lot of lessons learned in this more agile sort of iteration of um workforce education in virginia i hope so i hope so well let's just um let, let's close out with you know what you know you've brought up a lot of issue areas that you're passionate about a lot of innovation a lot of recommitments um but what should we for people who are in other states what should we be investing in now for the learners of the future so uh, innovation, building great data systems, but also our teachers, right? Um, every child deserves to have a great educator um, in their lives and in every classroom, we need great teachers. And when I talk about quality teachers, I mean 
as measured by the data, those teachers that are having a positive impact on student learning. And we know from the research that having access to a quality teacher is the most important determinant of student success after a mother's education level. Mm -hmm. um, and so we know that we have to invest in our teachers. And so in Virginia, and I hope in every state, um, we should be focusing on how do we attract, grow, and retain just great people to the profession and how do we support them. Um, and so we're doing a lot of thinking and about how do we do that in a way that our teachers feel supported um, and that they are effective in everything from how do we differentiate compensation to recognize teachers who are teaching the hardest to serve um, and it's hardest to serve schools and the hardest to serve subjects, but also those that are taking on more roles and responsibilities that we know lead to student achievement, but also who are getting results in the classroom. And so we're thinking about that for this session. Uh, we're thinking about how do we do a better job of, of making it easier to come into the profession while also maintaining that commitment to quality. So how do we, just like with students, we're thinking about how do we break up the one size fits all system for um, students, we need to do the same thing with our pathways into teaching of how do we make sure that there are many ways to go into the classroom. But again, always making sure that we're committed to high quality teachers. So to me, there's no road to success and to excellence without also focusing on excellence in teaching. 100%. Well, Secretary Gadara, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this episode of Reaganism. And you are welcome at the Reagan Institute and Foundation and Library out in California anytime. Thank you. I'll bring my copy of The Nation at Risk. <laughs> Please do. All right, Dan, thank you so much. And thanks for what you do to just provide great conversations and for people to come together and have these discussions. So thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Reaganism. New episodes premiere weekly every Monday on YouTube and all podcast streaming platforms. If you like this episode, be sure to let us know and share with a friend.